everybody. Good morning. Good morning online. So glad you're here. I know some of you are like, wait, we're just singing two songs? Like, what's the deal? I'm about to lead us in worship. You ready? Um, no, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to teach on worship, and we're going to worship a couple of songs on the back end. Does that sound good? So the whole time, yeah, let's go. Get ready. You can, we, we're going to get ready. So let me scoot this a little bit. I'm ready to jump in. Listen, the early church was a powerhouse of transformation. They were a group of people that had been so radically changed by the message of Jesus, his work in their life, that they literally turned the world upside down. That's what happened. They took the message of the gospel and they just at, the, at first were just this ragtag group of people who took this message of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, this good news that we can know God, be connected to God. They took this message and they took it and within a few short years, half the entire Roman world it was following Jesus. Like, like, and, and that is obviously the greatest thing that can happen, but there were some other cultural things that they were able to accomplish. In that culture, in the Roman culture, women were treated as property. And because of Christians, women moved from being property to being valued and cherished, to being, they're valued just like everybody is valued. Children were valued like animals, like someone that you owned, and their level of value was, was raised by people who were Christians. The reason that you and I have hospitals to go to now is because of the work of the early Christians. Christians. That's why hospitals now are the Baptist hospital and the Methodist hospital and whatever. That's because of the early Christians. In the early Roman world, there was no such thing as hospitals. There was no such thing as charity. If you were poor or neglected or marginalized, you were on your own. And the Christians were able to come in and because of the message of the gospel, they broke all that down to literally change Roman culture. Not only that, they rushed into places that everybody was leaving. When there were plagues and diseases, Christians rushed in to help people and they changed how people looked at each other. And the reason they did this is because they were devoted to some habits and practices that helped them change the world. And so over the course of this series, we want to look at some of those things that they were devoted to. What is it about the early church and the early Christians that they were devoted to that helped them be a powerhouse of transformation? Because what happens throughout history is when the church is squeezed like we are currently, when the church is marginalized and persecuted, what happens is the church doubles down on the things it's devoted to, and God does something miraculous. Hello, somebody? Let's, pray, let's, let's say amen to that, right? Man, God's gonna do something miraculous. And if we can learn to do the things that they did that was normal, that we only do that's occasional, we can experience powerful lives rather than normal lives. And what, what can happen for us, especially in the United States, is that we can dabble in areas that they were devoted to. And we don't want to be a church that dabbles. Amen. We want to be devoted to some things that's going to change the world. Now, now we can see what they were devoted to in, in Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to read this to kind of set up uh, the, the passage for today. Acts chapter 2, we see just a description of the early church. And it says this, starting in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, careful attention to, the apostles' teaching, the Bible, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. Come on, we all like to eat together. And the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were just being generous. And day by day, they attended the temple. They attended the temple. They went to church, gathered together. They broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Oh, did you catch those two words? 
praising God, praising God. That's what we're going to talk about today, worship, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that, man, the early church knew that their purpose, the impact that they were going to have was nothing without this devotion to God's presence. They were devoted to God's presence. And worship is actually the role of the church. Worship, God being worshiped, God being glorified, God being made known. This is the role. Sometimes we get a little confused and we think that our outreach mission is the mission of the church. I like what John Piper says. John Piper, excuse me, is a pastor and kind of a sage in our time. Uh, and, And he says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't doesn't in other words the reason we go and tell people about God is because they don't know to worship God like that's that's why we even have a mission worship is ultimate not mission because God is ultimate not man when this age is over and the countless millions of us fall on our faces before the throne of God missions will be no more it's just a temporary necessity but worship abides worship abides forever listen weak worship leads to a feeble faith Weak worship leads to a feeble faith. And we have this misunderstanding of worship. I know that I did growing up and I know it's been a journey for me. I'll take you, tell you a little bit about that and maybe it's been a journey for you. But here's just what I want to say to you today. Hey, worship is where you win the battle for your life. Like worship is where the war is fought. Worship is where when you face something you don't know how to face, when you face an obstacle or a struggle, worship is the place to start. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles today. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 over in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, you can grab one. If you don't have a Bible, we always have paperbacks or you can go to the Bible on your phone. Um, If you'd like a nice leather Bible like mine, I think I saw one lost and found. You can run out there and grab it real quick. Uh, But love for you to read along with us. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm just going to set up the story real quick and then jump into it. So there's a king named Jehoshaphat. Like, wouldn't you love that name? What was his mom thinking when that happened, right? Jehoshaphat, crazy name. And so he becomes king in Israel and the nation of Israel had forgotten God. The nation of Israel had, they had fallen off the deep end. They were doing their own thing. They were worshiping other gods. They had built other altars. They completely turned their back on God. And Jehoshaphat finds himself as the king and he returns everybody back to worshiping God. He destroys all the other altars. He rebuilds part of the temple. He refocuses everybody's energy on God's word. So Jehoshaphat is doing something really good, wouldn't you say? Like he's doing the right thing. Now watch what happens to Jehoshaphat in verse two. It says, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. So Jehoshaphat, is doing the right thing. Now some people from somewhere way far away are coming to destroy him, to demolish the land, to take over the people and export them out of the country. Like, don't you think Jehoshaphat's like, really God? Like I did all this good and this is the thanks that I get? Like, have you ever done a good thing and wrong things just kept happening to you? Anytime, anybody in the room, let's go. Let me know you're here. Let's play together, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I, how many times have you done the right thing and then wrong things happen to you? This is what's happening to Jehoshaphat right now. Like I know so many people, they'll take a step to, to do what God wants them to do. They'll take a step in the right direction and maybe they take a step to be generous and their HVAC goes out. Or man, they take a step to get healthy 
and they get even more sick than they were before. Or they take a step to kind of rebuild and restore their marriage only to find it go into even more conflict. Why does that happen? Why does that happen to us? Why did it happen to them? Could it be that there's something else that God wants to teach them? And could it be that there's something that God wants to teach us? Let's go back into verse three. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set his face to seek the Lord. Hey, note to self, anytime you're afraid, set your face to seek the Lord. That's always a good idea. Somebody, somebody say amen right there, right? He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Let me explain what a fast is. Like a fast is when you do without something. Like we, we don't like to do without. We like to indulge ourselves, anybody, right? Like we don't talk too much about it in the West. Um, but a fast just means you go without something. They would go without food probably for a few days. And you, the reason you go without something is so that you can focus your attention on God. That's what Lent is. Some of you may have done that. You start on Ash Wednesday, works all the way up through Easter. Um, you do without something so you can focus your attention on God. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's social media maybe it's television you know maybe it's something like that but that's the reason you do it so they're like we're, we're, we're in trouble so they decide to fast all Judah and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord they uh, to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord and then over in verse 12 it says our God they're praying will you not execute judgment on our enemies did you know you could pray that anybody think of somebody they want to pray against right now I'll pray for you uh but they pray against their enemies and they say this, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Right, that's a COVID declaration right there. Hey, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what's gonna happen, but we know who's got, we know who's got us. Then they, they continue on <clears throat> in verse 17. So they've started praying, they're scared to death. And here's what God says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Good news, because they're standing across looking at about 2 million soldiers, the size of the current Chinese military. It's, it, it, it's intimidating. It's impressive. You will not have to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Judah fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Okay, you see this. They're scared, intimidating battle that's happening. They know they can't win. They don't start running. They don't start strategizing. They start worshiping. This is what they do. Then, then it goes on and... Um, in verse 20, it says, they rose early in the morning. They went out into the wilderness. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. All right, you getting the picture here, right? They've got an army. They've got to go fight. And it's weapons, it's swords, it's chariots, it's things that will draw blood. It's difficult, it's dangerous. He sends the marching band out front. Come on, somebody. Like he sends the worshipers to lead the charge. The people who have instruments, not swords. That's who's leading the charge. And here's what, they, here's what happens. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, right now, if I'm reading this story and I don't know the end, you know what I'm thinking? The band's out front. We're going to lose. So watch what happens. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, 
The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. See what happens? They don't even have to fight. God comes, sets an ambush, and the Israelites win. Why? Through worship. Listen, worship is where you win the battle. Worship is where it happens. Now, the first thing we have to acknowledge is life is a battle. Somebody say amen right there. Like life is a battle. Like we know this. There are times when we go through difficulties. And just because we go through difficulties, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't mean that God's not real. What it means is that God is going to show up in the midst of your battle. This is what it means, that God has something to teach us. God has something to show us. God wants to show us that he is so worthy and so great. He's better than anything. That is why we have battles. Like Paul writes this. He says, hey, whenever you go through a struggle, difficulty, count it all joy. The, the early disciples, when they got thrown into prison, beaten, they would come out rejoicing, saying, good for us. Look what we got to do. They counted themselves worthy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. And even Jesus himself said what? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Like when we see a battle, we can't think that God's not real. And we're going to go through, sometimes we go through seasons of battles and sometimes they're just one at a time. Have you ever heard this or thought this maybe that, you know, when, if one bad thing happens, two more is coming because they all bad things come in threes. You've heard this. It's in the Bible, right? No, not really. I'm just kidding. But we do, man, when one bad thing happens, we tend to think that there's going to be a season of it. And some of you have had some difficult seasons, haven't you? You may be in a difficult season right now today. I, when I think back over my life, I think of the most difficult season that I, that I had at the time was that my, my youngest son, John, was involved in a golf cart accident and it was you know, near fatal, 17 days in ICU, months of rehab. And then not long after that, my mom's husband passed away from a pulmonary embolism, just completely unexpected. And he was awesome. Then um, my, my wife's grandmother passed away. And then we had funerals for two kids that had died in accidents in our, in our church. And then there was a husband, a dad of two small kids who in his early 40s dropped dead of a heart attack while mowing the grass. I'm like, God, what in the world is happening right now? And some of you have gone through seasons like that. It just seemed like one thing after another, after another, after another. Listen, life is a battle. Let me ask you this question today. You can use your card to write it down. Like what battle are you facing? What's the big battle of your life? Yeah, you may be on the front end of it. You may be in the middle of it. You may be on the tail end of it. What great battle are you facing? And what if, what would it look like for God to show up in the midst of that battle? Life, life is a battle. Worship invites God into that battle. You know, what happens it, when they start singing, it seems to affect some power from God somehow. There's something that seems to happen through this singing where God, God shows up in the middle of this battle. And what we see in the Bible is, is that the great warriors, the great fighters of the Bible, they're great worshipers. And, and worship is actually the way that we play offense in life rather than defense. Because what can happen is you start going through a problem, we start praying, we start, first of all, we figure out how we can get out of it ourselves. And then when we can't, we ask God to get involved. Um, and, then, and then it's like, okay, God, I need you to deliver me. How are you going to deliver me? What are you going to do? What's the strategy? What step do I take? What do I do? It's all I can focus on in the midst of that. It's a very defensive posture. But worship, we know, is always the go-to. 
Worship is always how we play offense. Worship is always the way that we lead out. So when we face a struggle and we're in an area we don't know what to do and we don't know what's going to happen, what's our response? We worship God because worship is what gets God into the battle. I mean, as you look in the Bible, there's so many times that worship actually wins the war. You know, you guys heard of this guy named David in the Bible? How about the story of David and Goliath? Anybody heard this story, right? Now, David and Goliath, a story that we've all heard of, we know in the Bible, David is the greatest warrior in the Bible. I mean, when you can kill a giant with a slingshot and you're like 12, that's pretty legit, wouldn't you say? And so David kills Goliath and has this career, this military career. He leads a small group of guys, 30, um, 30 of his mighty men is what it's called in the Bible. And he leads them to in little skirmishes all over the nation of Israel, conquering their enemies. Then David becomes the king. And then he's able, through his military might, and strength is able to bring peace that was unprecedented in the nation of Israel. And then David was a direct ancestor to Jesus himself because he was a great warrior. And in the book of 1 Samuel, it says this, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. So the son of Jesse is David. He's skillful in playing. He's a musician. He's a worship leader, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. That meant he was handsome. Somebody, li- somebody likes that one. Come on, say amen. And the Lord is with him. So here you have David. And the reason why he was successful in battle is not because he practiced with a slingshot, but because he practiced worship. If you read the book of Psalms, it's called the hymn book of ancient Israel. David wrote most of those. Because David was a great worshiper. David knew what it meant to invite God's presence into his life so that God could fight the battle. Now, what does God being in the battle look like? It looks like optimism in the face of struggle. It looks like hope in the the midst of a dark tunnel. Man, it looks like strength to battle my temptation. It looks like uh, 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 clarity when everything seems to be against me. It looks like kindness when I want to rebel in anger. This is what it looks like for God to be in the battle. And it seems like what we see in this passage and other passages is we worship through music that God shows up. Now, why music? Like, what's up with music? Like, what does that look like? And why is that the thing that God seems to like more than everything? So in the Bible, music, singing, is mentioned over 400 times. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot. Muse singing to God is commanded 50 times, okay? 50 times, more than love your neighbor, more than praying. Singing to God is mentioned 50 times. Like that, that's, that's quite the command for us. Like why is that? Now, now if I'm honest, you know, my history has not been one that really understood the power of worship music. You know, I, especially growing up, and you know, I, I didn't listen to worship music. I didn't even know there was Christian radio until I had kids and needed something healthy, wholesome for the whole family. What about you? Like, I just—that's not been—it's not been where I've come from. I'm a little more like, oh, we got an, a justice problem. Let's go solve it. Man, we got some poverty. Hey, let's go. Let's go do some job training and help. Man, if there's if there's a problem, let's run in. But it seems like there's something to be said about singing to God. Now, we know that there's something special about music, don't we? It changes the tone. 
Have you ever heard the phrase, music can take words where mere words can't go? You've heard this song, somebody say, yes, come on. Like, and, and, and a side note, how great has worship been around this place? Come on, right? Yeah, let's go. And so, so we know that there's a special place in music. Have you noticed how music can just take you back? Like there's a song maybe from your wedding or maybe from high school or maybe some other time period. If you hear it immediately, you're transported back. Like, like I can hear eruption from Van Halen immediately. I'm 18 all over again, right? There's just some things that, that transport you back. We always have this, we always have this uh, discussion about like, if you could have entry music when you came up onto the stage, what would you pick? And so, um, I would pick Eruption by Van Halen, of course. Um, but we know that music just has this ability in our lives. We listen to so much music. There's so many contests for The Voice and American Idol, and the list goes on and on, trying to come up with the next superstar in music. We have apps that we listen to. How many Spotify fans in the house? Yeah. What about Pandora? Anybody? Still a lot of those. What about Apple Music? Right? You're the rich people we know. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. But you know, we just have so many different ways. We have so many different playlists. I started to grab my phone and just bring up and show you my playlist. Like we have so many different ways because music just communicates something to us. Music does something to our soul. If you go to a stadium, there's certain music that's playing. If you go on an elevator, there's certain music that's playing. Can you imagine watching the scene of Rocky going up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum without the music playing? It would just be empty and void and nothing. It has no power, but we know that music has this. Why is that? Why is it that God has created us this way? We are created to be connected to music because God created music. God, music appears to be the heart language of God. So think about this. There's a heart language that we all have. If you were born in the United States, you probably speak English. It's probably your heart language. If you learned other languages, whenever you talk to someone uh, in your family, or whenever you talk to someone about something you're excited about or sad about or means a lot to you, you speak in your heart language. You speak in English. Maybe you were born somewhere in Latin America and your heart language is Spanish. When you are with your family and y'all are hanging out on a Saturday night or maybe you're you know, having uh, uh, a meaningful conversation, you speak in your heart language. It's the language you were born with. It's the language that you use to talk about important matters and music is the heart language of God listen music is the heart language of God so when we sing to him he turns his attention towards us have you ever noticed like when a song comes on that you like what do you do turn it up you know what when we start singing worship to God you know what he does he turns it up he listen he shows up this is what God does because it's his heart language. There's even this passage that talks about God rejoices over us with singing, heart language, music, singing to God. It's why it's so important if we want to see God show up in the middle of our battles. Now, now let, me, let me take a little side note to talk a little bit about posture for a second in worship. Because you may be new to faith and you're just figuring it out and you're like, hmm, they got their hands in there. Like, what's that about? Like, like who, who's doing that? And some of you may have grown up in a tradition that you didn't raise your hand. Like, like I grew up in a, in a Baptist church. Any Baptists in the house? Right? Like, we couldn't clap. Anybody grew up in a, a, where you couldn't clap in church? Anybody? Like, you could not clap in church. So even now, I'm asking you to raise your hand. You're very uncomfortable. You're like, are you telling me I'm charismatic now because you made me raise my hand in church? It just is not something I grew up with naturally until one day. It's a Sunday afternoon and I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching football. 
and my team scores, what is the universal symbol for victory? Right here. Now, if you're from Atlanta, you don't know this. <laughs> but this is it, trust me. It's the symbol of victory. And I'm more excited about grown men playing a game on TV than the God of the universe who came after me. I was just so convicted. Hey, what, what about this? It's not just a symbol of victory. It's also a symbol of what? Surrender. Surrender. Like when I do this, I think of Barney Fife saying, put your hands in the air. <laughs> it's just this symbol of God. You are God and I'm not. Man, you are great and I'm not. You are so worthy of our posture in worship. This is why. This is why we raise our hands in worship. Now, 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 for some of us, I get it. We're a little more reserved than that. We're professional. Feels a little odd. Feels a little weird. Now, I'm just going to say, if you do that at all in life, you should consider why you don't do it in church. Right? I'm just saying. Just a challenge. Like, if you get excited about things in life, your kid gets into college, your kids get their first job, right? There's some things you get excited about. I mean, if you do that, then you consider, like, wow, what's holding me back? That's probably a question for you and the Lord. Now, 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 here's the thing. Music, back to music. Music, music takes us back. Music can take us back, transport us back. But listen, worship drives us forward, okay? Music can take us back, but worship is what's going to drive us forward because we need to be able to go forward in the battle. And worship is going to be able to do that. Now, worship, just kind of by definition, it's just devoting your attention to greatness. It's devoting your attention to greatness. You know, when you see something that's great, you just stop for a minute and stare at it, don't you? Have you ever maybe went to the, maybe you went to the Grand Canyon, you're standing on the edge, you took a step back, but then you just stared, just drinking it in. You don't even know what it was, but something, something was speaking in your soul, just the beauty of that. And then it was over when you left. I'm not a big art buff, but there's a couple of times that I saw art and I was just like, all I could do was stop. And just stare at it, gaze at it in awe because it was so great. The first one was George Washington crossing the Delaware. Um, George Washington crossing Delaware, there's this painting of his. And as I read about it in history books in school, I'm like, ah, this looks pretty cool. I'd love to see that. And so we were in New York and we were going to go see it. And I'm thinking that's probably the size you could hang over your mantle or maybe, um, you know, in the bathroom or whatever. And so I walk in the room and this painting is 13 feet by 21 feet. It is massive and all you can do is just stop and stare at it and just drink it in and you are reminded of the sacrifice they made and the difficulties and the hardships they went through in this massive painting. Uh, the other time that it's happened to me was I had the privilege of going to Rome and we went to, got to go to the Vatican and some of the museums and St. Peter's and you come across this sculpture that's called the Pieta and it's Mary, Jesus' mother, holding his crucified body. And it just grabs your heart. And you don't, even, you don't even have words to explain. And when we worship, this is what we're doing. When we worship, we're focusing our attention on God who is great, who is worthy to be praised. And we're forgetting about the things that are holding us back. And we're trying to stop not solving our own problems and inviting God into the battle that we face. Because he is worthy of worship. Like I... Uh, 
On the front row during the first service, this psalm came to mind. I didn't have a plan, but there's a Psalm 104. I just want to read a few of the verses from it just to help us paint the picture of how great this God is that we serve. He says this, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. So God takes sunlight and puts it on the way you put your shirt on this morning. That's who God is. He lays the beams of his house on the waters. In other words, the ocean or where the foundation of his, of his house is. He makes the clouds his chariots. The same way that you're going to go out and get in your Tesla to go home, God gets on the clouds to take a, take a ride back, take a stroll back to his crib. Like that's what God does. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds. His servants are flaming fire. He causes grass to grow for livestock, plants for us to cultivate that we may eat and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen his heart. The trees of God are watered abundantly. In them, the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge. He made the moon to mark the season. The sun knows it's time for setting. And think of how grand this is. Every morning when you wake up and you see a sunset, God did that. And guess what? God does it all day long because the sun sets and the sun rises all day long somewhere around the world. God's continually doing that. Like, is that not worthy of some worship right there? He goes on to say, young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they hide and they go lay down. Man goes out to do his work. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And then he goes on to say, those all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God while I have my being. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. I always love the way that gets stuck in there. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. Like when we begin to understand how great God is, guess what? My greediness tends to fade away. Man, when I see how great God is, my temptation seems so small. When I see how great God is, my anxiety begins to come a little more, a little more man size and not God size. When I see how great God is, man, eternity seems so close, so close. And this is the God that we get to worship. This is what worship is by saying how great God is. Now, we all worship something. So the question we have to answer is what do you worship? What do you worship? Can it deliver what God can deliver? Can it clothe itself with the sun and ride out of here on the clouds? Like, what do you worship? Do you worship your, your bank account? Hey, parents, do you worship your children? Hey, students, do you worship your grades or your appearance? Like, what is it that you worship? Hey, if it's not God, I'm, I'm afraid for you because it has no power to deliver. What is it? What is it that you worship? Now, now, there's something to be said about worshiping together, about being in a room together, about worshiping together. There's something to be said about being with other people who are worshiping the same God that changes us. Because one thing that worship does through music is it connects people, right? It connects people. Now, now let me take a second just to address, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the new world that we live in, like online and in person, Right? online and in person. It's a little bit of a challenge. And we know that there are certain people that can't be here. They, they wish they were here. I talk to them regularly. And whether for health reasons or whatever it may be, they're not going to be here and should not be here because it's not time for them. There'll come a time 
that, that we'll be back together. And so what I would say to them is that, first of all, you shouldn't feel guilty. Second of all, you can still participate in worship. I got a cool little note um, this week from on my desk uh, and it was a little scarf that had been knitted was sitting on my desk and this little note was left says I'm afraid I don't know anyone's favorite colors or style but hopefully each of these scarves will find a home with someone who works for the church or their family I had the idea last year of praying for people while I knit them so she's at home knitting scarves and praying for us because she can't be here I, it's kind of like a prayer shawl, except I know a lot more people that wear scarves. You are not wrong. Thank you very much. The pandemic has made for a lot of tough decisions. And even though my family hasn't come back in person, I wanted you to know that you were still doing a great job serving us. And I appreciate all your hard work. I've been knitting for and praying for all the church leaders and the staff, which is why we baptized nine people last week. Because people like this. Come on, somebody. You know, there's a lot of things that have been missed during COVID and it feels like it's, you know, when I talk to people, worship has been the big one. Worshiping together has been the big one. And so um, it, it's good to be back. Now, now, I do know there's another group of people that probably don't come back simply because it's a habit or it's a convenience. Uh, I don't feel like it. Uh, I was up late last night, uh, drank too much last night. You not me. Like there's some things that happen and we use it as an excuse rather than a real reason. And for that, I would just say, you probably should examine your soul and where you've put your hope. And you probably should examine where you are. But, but for, us to, for people to judge those who aren't here, man, that, that's, not, that's not what God would have us do. But here's what God would have us do. He, he would have us worship together. Like, I want you to think about this, how, how connected we get when we sing together. Like if you, if you know someone who's here and is worshiping and you know they've gone through a difficult time, maybe a single mom who's struggling or maybe somebody who just got a bad diagnosis and you see them worshiping, what does that do to your faith? Man, it encourages me and strengthens me and changes my soul and helps God pervade every area, every crack and crevice of my life. Man, we need each other and we need to be able to worship together. We see this commanded in the Bible. Uh, well, first of all, uh, there's a quote from Roosevelt that I want to... I want to use to help us kind of set the stage for this. Teddy Roosevelt said this, that great theologian, Teddy Roosevelt, you know what I'm talking about? Um, you may worship God. Anytime I get a chance to use a Roosevelt quote, it's happening. You know that. Um, you may worship God anywhere at any time, but the chances are that you will not do so unless you have first learned to worship him somewhere in some particular place at some particular time. And what he means by that is that the place where we learn to worship is, is where, when we gather together. It's when we gather together and worship together. We learn what it means to sing. We learn what it means to our posture to change. And it does something to our soul. And even in the book of Colossians, we have this command, this challenge for us to be able to worship together. Um, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, uh, chapter three or, uh, let me do the Ephesians one, Jackie. Um, do we have that one? I messed up. Ephesians chapter 5, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So you're talking to each other in psalms, right? That's psalms out of the Bible. In hymns, that's like amazing grace, stuff like that. 
I'm just kidding. That's not really what that was back then. Uh, Spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we just have this command that we're we're to sing together, sing to each other, sing and worship God so that God is made big in our lives. And this is what happens. You know, there's this Bible verse in Psalm chapter 22. In Psalm 22, verse 6, it says that God, God is enthroned on the praises of Israel. God is enthroned on the praises of Israel. So so let me kind of paint the picture of what that looks like. So so if God comes down and is on a throne, that means that God shows up. So God inhabits the praises of his people. That's one way to look at it. God lives in the praises of his people. God fights in the praises of his people. So I just want you to imagine for just a minute, like you need God to show up in your battle, whatever battle you're facing, whatever difficult you're going through, man, whatever question and confusion you may have, you're, you're needing God to show up in your, in the battle. And worship is going to build the throne for God to come and show up. Like worship is what is going to be how God shows up. Let me ask you, let me ask you, what, what kind of throne are you building for God to show up in? Are you building a three-legged stool? A wicker chair or a throne that's worthy of King Jesus? Like if he were to examine your worship, how, how would God show up in your life? And we see that even Jesus himself worshiped before going into battle. I just want you to, I just want you to picture this. Jesus is getting ready to head for the, obviously the worst battle of his life. It's his crucifixion. He is going to be rejected by his dad, rejected and denied by his closest followers. He's going to be beaten beyond recognition. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be left for dead. This is where Jesus is going. And Jesus does some things that last night, the last few days before he goes, you know, he, he washes his disciples' feet. Because he knows they need to have a picture of servanthood. They, he, he wants them to know what it means. He tells them that they're to love each other before he leaves. And he tells them he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be able to come and to comfort them and to be with them and to give them direction. He tells them all of these things. And then in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, it says this. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is where he was arrested. So one of the last things that Jesus did before the battle for our eternity, for our security, for our forgiveness, for our restoration, our redemption, one of the last things that Jesus does is he worships. It's what he did. How could we do any less? We don't need God any less. How could we do any less in our lives? So I want to to take a minute and just, I want to pray for us. And then we're going to worship to a couple of songs as we leave today. So let's bow our heads and pray together. God, thanks for the gift of music. Man, I'm thankful for our church and 
the worship that is here, the people who engage in our worship here, who lead us every week, week in and week out. God, I'm just grateful um, for what you've done. I'm grateful for the way you stir people's hearts in worship. I'm grateful for the way that we've grown in worship, God. But we want to be a people that's devoted. God, we don't want to dabble in church. We want to not just settle for what's normal. We want to see miracles happen. We want to see you move in power, God. We want to see transformation. We want to see people's lives change. We want this community to be changed in places, every place that you call us to go to. And so, God, I pray that as we worship, Lord, somehow it's pleasing to you, which is mind-blowing itself, that you would let your creation worship you and bring you glory. It blows my mind. And so, God, I just ask that we would just be a people that remembers who is the greatest and that it's Jesus, that remembers who will fight our battles and that it's Jesus, and that who remembers who created the stars and hung them in space and who created all the galaxies, who created time, who created us to be in them and who came for us in such a way that we could connect back to God. Lord, I'm just grateful for that. And you know, in this moment, we're just gonna, with our heads bowed, just eyes closed, just a moment of prayer. You know, maybe for some of you, you have worshiped so many different things Man, so many different things, but you've never really made a decision to worship Jesus. I just want to lead you in a prayer of commitment today to do that. Be the most significant, important decision that you could ever make. And I'm just going to ask you, just invite you to pray after me. Dear God, I've worshiped everything less than you. I choose today to worship you. I follow Jesus. Forgive me of my sins and grant me a new life. You know, the Bible says that when you do that, man, you're now called a worshiper of God, someone who can worship God. And if you just want to mark that moment today, I'm just going to invite you to do that. Just as in the stillness of the moment with our heads bowed, I'm going to count to three and just ask you to slip your hand up in victory today, as well as surrender to God on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So God, as we face battle after battle, I pray that right now would set the stage for the victory you're going to have. God, I pray right now you're going to set the stage for victory over our perspective. And God, even in the midst of battles like cancer and disease and bankruptcy and uh, parenting and singleness and loneliness and anxiety and depression, God, even in the middle of those battles that today would just set the stage for this week for us to win. God, just to know that you're going to show up and that no matter how you choose to win the battle, God, you are with us. And that is enough. You are better. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.